Welcome back to Sex and Light. It's a podcast about sex and how it interacts with our daily lives. Today, we have a lovely young woman, uh, Sophie Delancey. Amongst other things, uh, she is the vice president of a site called The Art of Blowjob. What is The Art of Blowjob? Well, it is a website, as you said, focusing on blowjobs, but not just any blowjobs. These are artful blowjobs. So this is kind of from two perspectives, both the art of the filmmaking and the photography, which is high quality. It's a cinematic look. It's it's creative and beyond just stills and shots of blowjobs happening. We, you know, pay a little more attention to the creative process. And then on the other hand, uh, the blowjobs themselves are an art. So they're a work of art. They're, again, creative. There's more than just the repetitive up and down motion because essentially it was initially conceptualized in 2007 because blowjobs were either something that was done for five minutes as kind of a courtesy part of the foreplay act before going to some type of uh, penetrative intercourse or blowjobs were focused on as a niche, but only in a really kind of rough way where um, the blowjob givers were barely givers. They were more recipients. So irrimatio, the idea of face fucking, yeah, yeah. Um, which is fine, but it seemed like a phenomenal, you know, hole pun in the market yeah. uh, to not have anything that showed kind of like the skill involved in oral sex because they're, I've, there are so many things that you can do with a blowjob beyond just being a mouth. Yeah, I mean, I've had at least six blowjobs in my life. Good for you. At least. <laughs> and uh, some of them are quite... I, it is a work of art. It's it's a... It, would you agree that it's like a passion? For sure. I think... And what's exciting with us is we, we've embraced this kind of multi-model format. So we have lots of different performers. And they all have a different approach. And you can see the different things like the different strengths that they have, that they play to, say, tongue play, that they play to deep throating, that they play to combining hands and breasts and lips and tongue and all sorts of different ways of going about giving a blowjob. And it's we we work with people of a variety of different kind of looks and ages and styles and all that, but what they have in common is they all really like giving blowjobs. So it is a passion, absolutely, and we're looking for passionate people. I have a question. By the way, hi, I'm Joe. I'm the producer. Um... Whenever uh, I'm asking the question, I, I'm thinking of a friend of mine who has a very simplistic approach to his porn watching. He's like, oh, I just want to get in, jerk off, and get out. Mm-hmm. So someone like him might ask, what's the point of putting all this work into the blowjob? Why, like, isn't a blowjob just a blowjob? Um, no, they're like snowflakes. Everyone is different. I think he might not be our target market. At the same time, they're very compelling. Uh, but the reason we put a lot of work into it is because... Porn has become a market where people can get it for free. You can get it anywhere. Mm. So to make something that's a little higher quality, a little more kind of conceptual, and something where things like eye contact is valued, things where intimacy, uh, ways, modes of expressing intimacy are valued, and where even though it is a niche, there's a tremendous amount of nuance and difference, that's marketable. And that's something that people will pay for because it mimics the best sexual experiences that a lot of people can have and that a lot of people aspire to more so than just what we see in mainstream porn, which is 
a very particular mode of sex, generally speaking, which is totally more fine. aggressive. Well, mm-hmm. yes, it's more aggressive. It's it's very performative in a way that's performative to an audience as opposed to performative to each other. So it's I mean, generally speaking, when we shoot, either there's one shooter or people shoot by themselves, depending on how things are being set up. But it's not highly directed. It's more it's more capturing the intimacy. And then the work is done in the editing process. It's done with the amount of cameras we set up initially, but it's not done by a human being telling the people involved what to do. I mean, it's a blowjob site, so they don't have a blowjob in there somewhere. But, so yeah. what is your, your process for, for filming? It varies depending on um, depending on who's involved and what they're doing. Uh, anything from I have performed in the past, and there have been other performers who've performed who have had um, backgrounds in filmmaking. So for people like that, there's actually no one else on set. It's them and, and their partner. And setting up multiple cameras, making sure that we have things that are close, things that are further away. Sometimes shooting B-roll, either having your partner shoot B-roll or you shoot B-roll, I guess, depending on which partner, whether it's the blowjob giver or the blowjob receiver, has the background in film. And just finding ways to to shoot things that are incidental that will add to the editing and add to the intimacy. So it sounds inconsequential, but seeing close-ups of the blowjob giver's face before the blowjob begins is really exciting. It establishes connection. It establishes personality. It establishes, in a sense, personhood beyond blowjobs beyond being unique like specifically a a sexual person exactly um to little things like seeing hands like the hands of the recipient gripping a sheet or gripping you know a a chair arm little things like that that are evocative but that aren't necessarily overtly sexual not necessarily just the blowjob so there's a lot of that involved when when people who are performers whether they are a real couple who just want to try this out or whether they have other experiences in the adult industry or in other adult arts, um, they usually will, will come on set and there will be uh, someone with a camera ready to shoot with well, a number of cameras uh, ready to shoot. Yeah. And we do try to be as kind of hands-off as possible. So there are things we need to get, like we want to shoot some stills. So we'll say, all right, right now we'll just kind of hang out. Uh, we also shoot portraits. So that part is more like a, a photo shoot, but it's often por- portraits of them just kind of getting ready, them just kind of hanging out. We have a studio, but we also shoot in people's homes. So it's been it's been kind of... It, it really... We cater to the people involved and their abilities and their desires. So if they have a background in filmmaking and they want to give it a go, we can facilitate that. If they really want to just show up and give a blowjob, whether it's, you know, hanging out at home when we come to them or whether they come to our studio... We just try to make the experience pleasurable and as kind of as, as intimate as possible. So we we don't have boom mics. We don't yeah, have this is not so know, intrusive. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, we want to see the natural occurrence of how people enjoy sensual blowjobs. I just had this uh, picture in my mind of the performer having to bat away the boom mic. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, that's was, actually what it's like in porn sometimes that, in more mainstream porn. There was one. I I, I want to say. It was in deep throat, mm-hmm. but I could be wrong. Oh, there's that a there's shadow. a there's not even a shadow. You see the the end of the the boom. That's it's just point. hilarious. Well, that takes you out of it so much, and I mean, both for the people giving the blowjob on screen, and obviously for the people in in the audience. And I think, in a sense, um, even if you can't actually see the boom mic, there are other elements of artifice that are 
whether they're actually perceptible or whether they're just something you can kind of intuit with a lot of mainstream porn that is kind of production heavy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get that. Whereas with us, it comes from having a good system of shooting. And then it comes from having good editing, good um, using natural light, shooting with people who don't necessarily embody all the porn ideals. So people who are, you know, stunning in their own rights, but don't have that sort of porn valley aesthetic that has broadened a bit, but is still fairly narrow. From from the little bit I've looked at your site, because I just, you know, discovered mm-hmm. it and, and learned about you, uh, very crisp, very bright. Definitely. Very, very... Uh, High quality, even more so than I think a lot of the mainstream porn. Yeah. Um, and it's about being it's, smart. It's not about having a ton of money. It's about, you know, knowing that natural light will look beautiful, especially if you're using, you know, crisp white sheets and, and naked people or using, you know, asking people to bring particular colors to their wardrobe or to to their aesthetic in general, just to kind of have things be vivid and, and engaging beyond the sex act itself. You know, there's, and there's certain beauty and natural light too. Exactly. Uh, yeah. If you can capture, it's awesome. For sure. And we've, we've had ex- experiments with like shadow and light. So on a day where there's a lot of rolling cloud coverage, normally you wouldn't shoot, but maybe you'll lean into it and you'll see mm-hmm. the shadows being cast. Or we've done, we've done blowjobs by with candlelight or very low light, evening blowjobs where it's not, we don't have big like set lights. We have, the lights in an apartment. Yeah, well, that's that um, that's the thing for uh, people who may not have too much experience in film. But the reason why the lighting is even is because they don't want it to feel like time is passing. They want exactly. to feel like the scene is taking place at a very specific point in time. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually using that to your advantage is yeah, and it's I mean it's not the be all and end all of transparency in porn. I think there are a lot of other things that are more important in terms of the way we're kind of honest. That for example, this is fantasy and that. There is no one person who is always going to just give you blowjobs exactly like this forever and demand nothing in return, that these this sexuality doesn't exist in a vacuum. But transparency extends all the way to not trying to fake, you know, a morning when it's actually, you know, six in the, af- in the afternoon evening. Yeah. <laughs> so little things and big things. So you've been doing this for how long? Almost five years. It'll be five years in the early spring. Wow. How did you get involved in this? Like, who, whose idea was it? So it started out uh, with a couple, and it's uh, brought into a multi-model format in the past, like, year or two years. And uh, I got involved, it started in 2007, I got involved in 2010, because uh, all of a sudden it was actually gaining a little bit of traction, and they needed more help kind of on the, the business and mostly the kind of marketing uh, PR side. And I actually studied opera. So nothing to do with this at all, except that I can lift the soft palate and I can, you know, relax the muscles in my throat maybe better (laughs) than most people. So there is some overlap, but I, um, I took some, some music marketing courses. I took some women's studies courses and I took some, uh, English courses focused on writing. So I did have a little background and I just, I finished school and I didn't want to do a master's in opera because I realized that's not a super sustainable career. And, uh, as luck would happen, I, uh, I went on Craigslist and. So you sing uh, operatically? Yes, I have like now really just in my shower. Um, <laughs> although I do, I've started burlesque. Your shower recently. or anybody's shower? Like if, if, if you ever go to Oasis, <laughs> they have a nice shower there. Where I find you singing there. I do there. go to Oasis. I have never sung there. However, I've started doing burlesque, and actually, I'm thinking that I'm I'm at the point now where I'd like to put a little opera in there. So 
that may happen. That would be interesting. It's cool. Yeah, it's it's not it's not often done, so I think it can be fun. The only time I see burlesque anymore is when I go to a, a cowbell concert. That works. Yeah, have you heard of White Cowbell, Oklahoma? No. They have burlesque dancers and That's chainsaws, awesome. and they uh, they they free poor Jagermeister from the stage. That all sounds <laughs> like it's in my wheelhouse. So cool. December nineteenth, Lee's Ooh. Palace is when they play. Small plug. For White Cow Bell, Oklahoma. This should be out in time. We'll see. We'll see. And if not, well, you missed a hell of a show. That's it. You missed out the free Jaeger. So what what kind of process do you guys go through uh, when you're looking for performers? It's really varied over the years. And I think um, we're in a good place right now because for a while, Montreal didn't have much in terms of like organization for performers. So we mostly shoot out of Montreal. It's where our studio is. However, we also do shoot here in Toronto from time to time. Uh, now, there it seems like there are more people coming of age who want to, uh, or like, not coming of age, but I think like people, people who are deciding they want to be performers. And so there's more organization. They all know each other. So it's become kind of, performers who recommend other performers or um there are even a couple agencies that work with uh organizing performers specifically we do some of that but we also try to shy away from people who are overtly kind of in that porn valley aesthetic so we also shoot with real couples who just contact us or who are friends of friends um who kind of maybe have shot for one other site or maybe have, you know, made some of their own stuff and put it up on a tube and we've seen it and we think it's interesting. Just kind of a variety of people. Certainly in Toronto, we have a fairly robust, but um, not insular necessarily, but like tight knit um, sex positive community. And it really, there was a period of time when, when we were doing almost all of our shooting here, where it was kind of like, okay, now you, now you, now you. And we all go to the same parties and we all, you know, go to the same, like uh, they all go to playground, the, the mm. conference that just happened in early November. There's a lot of, of overlap. And I think that's quite a lot of fun, mostly within kind of the social realm. And we do thus far anyways, we do like to keep it, centrally located we like to get to know the people uh certainly i like to be a busybody and talk to them about things like you know the the realities of working in porn making sure that they have supportive friends or partners that they have that they don't have any aspirations to work with children or in politics that they're sort of cognizant of what it means to shoot porn and to have that out on the internet privacy wise now a phrase that i've been hearing a lot of uh over the last year or so is sex positive for those listeners who don't really understand what that means why don't you give us a well yeah so when i'm talking about the sex positive community in toronto that can be the sex positive community anywhere just people who are open and honest about their sexuality who have an element of uh interest in sexual health and kind of being responsible about their sexuality their choices responsible with their partners responsible with their health responsible with for example if they they want multiple partners if they want to be in an open relationship that they're kind of upfront about that and somewhat not necessarily educated but informed at least about that um what it looks like is sexy people getting together talking about sex talking about other things having sex or being in a sexy milieu and not shaming each other for that cool it's very fun. It's alive and well in Toronto. I've never been a big supporter of all the slut shaming. Exactly. That's... Yes, it's basically anti-slut shaming. It's it's a community that's based around 
enjoying sex and not feeling shitty about it. It's it's unfair how that word gets put into such a negative connotation. If you could define what slut actually would would mean, how would um, we how would we describe it? Well, I think my personal experiences with slut shaming have all been around people either overtly or covertly uh, judging me for working in the adult industry, both um, just as an administrator slash, like, you know, I guess executive now, or as a performer. So people assuming that I'm not intelligent or Mm. that there must be something traumatic in my childhood or that if there is something traumatic in my childhood, that is necessarily the explanation and that is necessarily a judgment that they can make. So just people who are judgmental about more laissez-faire or more out there or more, I guess, taboo explorations of sex. Do you find that men who know that you're in the adult industry, do they think that you're going to be easy or, or like a nympho or some shit like that? No, I mean, I've been very lucky, in fact. Um, I, I have a partner now, and we've we've only been together for about a month, but uh, he was very cute. <laughs> he messaged me on OkCupid. I'm an OkCupid uh, devotee, I'd say. I've met everyone from my very best friend to my roommate on OkCupid. Oh, very really? Nice. I've, I mean, of course, there are the, the gross, creepy douchebags, who I think would be gross, creepy douchebags, whether or not I worked an adult, but I have met the loveliest people. And so this one person, um, he messaged me, and I, I do include on my profile that I work in the adult industry, uh, I qualify it with sort of it's ethical porn, it's kind of artsy porn, um, but certainly I make no bones about the fact that I'm sex positive and that they should be prepared for that. And he was just very cool and, and you know, self-identified as a feminist and was sort of interested in the sex positive community. And so we sent a date to meet up and I ended up getting strep throat. So I had to push it back a few days. And when I messaged him to say like, Hey, okay, I'm starting to feel better. Let's hang out. He said, yes, for sure. So I have to tell you, I've actually been, uh, I, I figured it out. Uh, cause you look the same on your OkCupid profile as you do on your Twitter picture. I've actually been following you for 10 months. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay. And he's like, yeah. And I sh- guess I should also tell you because I didn't put two and two together. Um, I listened to a podcast you were on. <laughs> and it was like a full hour-long podcast. It was the Man Whore Podcast with Billy Presida. And this was a very revealing podcast because we had been, he and I had been talking for like several months at that point. And he knew all about my life and he knew all about my like my non-academic, non-work-based um, sexual proclivities. We were talking about, you know, how I had shot porn with my ex-boyfriend and how that sort of impacted our relationships. So it was this very candid, open talk that he listened to right those, before our first date. Those are the best ones, though. Oh, yeah. Well, so it was all on the table, and the best part is I got to then get there and be like, so tell me all your stuff, because <laughs> you know about me. Uh, and even, like, a, another partner who um, is now uh, my ve- my very best friend, um, or certainly one of them, uh, he he messaged me by saying kind of like, hey, I like your profile, blah, 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 and if you need a date to the Feminist Porn Awards, I would be <laughs> just so happy to go. And that was the year... Um, two sites that I was working with were nominated. So there are people out there who see feminist porn, ethical porn, kind of classy, artsy porn, respectful porn as uh, being something not only interesting, but actively a good thing that doesn't, doesn't indicate anything about my sexuality necessarily, but does indicate that my sort of ethics and my approach to sexuality in general 
are copacetic with theirs. So I guess it's just finding people, being good at weeding people out, being good at not responding to people who seem like they might be dicks. That's that's another phrase that we've heard a lot of is the feminist porn. Mm -hmm. Just feminist in general. Yes. What I'm taking from this context is that the feminist only seems to mean female positive. Um, sort of. I think it's uh, maybe even more complicated than that. Essentially, uh, the feminist porn movement has gotten to a point where a lot of people suggest that it just be not necessarily rebranded, but also referred to as ethical porn, because feminist ethics at their core are good and are certainly applicable to women and ideally move every cause forward. So are good for men, are good for feminists and women at different intersections. But that's not always necessarily the most successful thing, because, for example, feminist porn Uh, if we're talking specifically about feminist issues dealing with women, focuses on women being treated well on set. But what is there enough work being done for people in general, both women and men and uh, gender non-normative folks who are uh, differently, who are disabled or who are um, like people of color, who are um, like, does this take care of trans people the way it should? So the idea of ethical porn opens more broadly to just saying that we want porn that's made with, among other things, feminist ethics mm-hmm. in mind, but also um, anti-racist ethics, uh, you know, anti-cis-sexist um, practices. And one of the things that, that porn ends up doing is that um, men in porn don't make much money. And women in porn make money, but uh, in the mainstream anyways, it's really focused on... Um, on specific sex acts, and they end up uh, ascribing much uh, much higher prices to sex acts that maybe the performer doesn't actually want to do. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at the amount of money you can make, and maybe you have debts or you need to make rent, all of a sudden you're going to do something that you don't actually want to do to you know pay for your life. And so one thing that that one of the tenets of feminist porn, which I would argue certainly makes it more broadly ethical is that uh, porn shouldn't be disproportionately uh, paying women versus men because that also means uh, cis women versus trans women. That also means cis men versus trans men. There are all sorts of weird pricing breakdowns so that impacts that end mm-hmm. up being very gender unfriendly. And then also it takes away the ability to say, okay, well, if you're willing to do anal, we'll give you another 600, mm-hmm. which not everybody wants to do that. And that's totally cool. But when they're in a situation where they really need that 600 and exactly. they can't exactly just go find another job. Exactly. I would definitely perform anal for 600, <laughs> $600. Well, I mean, yes, if, if that's what you're into, then that's great. But I think having a, a more balanced approach to payment is good. And I mean, like there's still pay differences. For example, if you're, if you're in the lion's share of the porn, you're doing the vast majority of the work, your face is very clearly viewed versus if your face is not in the shot and you're laying back, things like that. There are, there are still reasons for wage disparity, but it's not gender. It's not. Porn all just treats men like me. That's it. We see your penis, not your face. Mm. It's, it's interesting because even with our site, we do have a fair amount of that because initially when it was started just with a couple, the man was always holding a camera rig. Mm-hmm. So his face couldn't be in the shot. So POV. Yeah, uh, not all POV, but um, a mix of different shots, among other having one that's not quite POV, but it's over the shoulder, so kind of a little further back. Uh, it just meant that his face couldn't be in the shot anywhere from any angle because you'd see 
a camera and a rig. Uh, but as we've grown, we have some some people who do who some men who do want to have their faces in the shot, others who still don't, and we do still honor that because it's hard to be a porn performer. It's hard to to decide that you want to put your face out there, and especially when we have couples come to us where maybe the woman is open to it, maybe her you know, life choices and career choices are copacetic with performing, but his isn't. Even when uh, when I was shooting porn, I work in porn, so that's fine. But the partner I was dating at the time did not and wanted to do it because it's exciting, but couldn't have his face up there. So we try we try to be amenable, obviously, due to the nature of the site. The person who's giving the blowjob does need to have a face in the shop. I... I, I uh... I made some decent money at porn. Yeah, you absolutely can. Uh, I did it on and off for... Oh, shit. Are you going to measure this in years or in drugs? Well, it was a lot of drugs ago. Okay. A whole lot of drugs ago. Uh, I started in 97. Okay, so yeah, that's a that's a while back now. Yeah. It was one of the first uh, internet porn sites... Yeah, uh, back in the day, men. you could make phenomenal money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you could put up, like, three naked pictures and just kind of roll around in the, the money you've made. Whereas now, it really, you have to bring... You gotta hustle. You gotta bring so much intelligence to the way you're you're shooting, to the way you're marketing yourself, to the way you're using the content that you create. It's a lot of work, and I think that's why we have so much discussion with the people who perform with us. That's why we're so amenable to different situations because you're not going to make a million dollars shooting a scene anymore nor are we and so we need to all kind of work together to make the smartest porn we can make the smartest business decisions the smartest ethical decisions so have you won any porn awards feminist porn awards yeah so we won uh for the art of blowjob we won the feminist porn award in that was 2010 2011 one of those, uh, for best website. And, um, then another site that we've, uh, been working with on and off over the years. I think now they're, they're no longer producing new content, I believe, uh, pornographic love. They won in 2013. Nice. Yeah. So we're, we've been involved with a few different sites over the years and we've been developing, you know, helping other people develop their sites. So it's been interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Are there classes for blowjobs, like other blowjob oh classes, yes, so many. Like, do do you do seminars on blowjobs? Because there's one girl, and this is part of the reason I I don't really usually sleep with anybody under thirty. Mm-hmm. And she was twenty, twenty one, mm-hmm. whatever. And she put my penis in her mouth, and then took it Stop out again. And said, start. "You like that, don't you?" And I'm like, "Okay, what's well, a good start?" <laughs> yeah, had Step no I- had no idea what to do with her mouth or her face or her lips or her tongue. It was just, it was a big cavernous in and out Mm. with no artistic flair. Well, that's what a lot of blowjobs in porn will have you believe people want because that's, I don't know, what's aesthetically easiest to shoot perhaps. Uh, So yes, there are tons of blowjob workshops. I've taught some. um, Actually, one thing we're... think will be hopefully launched by the time uh this podcast comes out is an educational series on the website Hmm. so having videos that are both still porn and still exciting and you can still get off to but that have me talking about uh giving blowjobs and different techniques and we had about a over a hundred different techniques and sort of situations and setups for for the best blowjobs possible but i mean in toronto locally good for her 
always has a blowjob workshop. Come as you are always has a blowjob workshop. They have numbers a year. And not to mention other types of oral sex, other types of sex in general, uh, female dominance, strip teasing, you know, open relationships, kind of everything. But generally speaking, if you have like a sex store in your city, you can absolutely check it out. But if not, um, there are a lot of tips on the internet. And I think, I think, yeah, there's, well, there's, the innuendo there was masterful. Oh, yes. A lot of my job is making blowjob puns. A tremendous amount of my yeah. job is making blowjob porns, uh, puns. But I think, uh, one thing that people don't necessarily think about, because I, I do a lot of podcasts or do a lot of interviews and sound bites and things like that. And people ask, like, well, how do you give a blowjob? It depends on the penis extremely and the person attached to the penis because what's one person adores, one person will find absolutely does nothing for them or is way too overstimulating for them. And what ends up being important is uh, communication, an element of creativity and, and I think an element of just openness to, to trying new well, things. Passion too. Absolutely. I, I enjoy giving oral sex. Mm-hmm. I feel that because I'm good at it, mm-hmm. or because I enjoy it so much, I'm good at it. Yeah, and you and, understand that it's not one size fits all. And it's it's very much a practice of paying attention. Yeah. Eating pussy isn't just go down like, nah, nah, nah. no, that's <laughs> fucking lame, and you're stupid. And yeah, you're not, you know what I'm yes, saying? Yeah, um, <laughs> He was pointing that at me. But there's, yeah. that's fine. there's, Harsh. uh, <laughs> To, in my opinion, to be good in bed, you really do have to pay attention to what your partner likes. Yeah. And it's, it's subtle things, you know, the way they move or the way they breathe or the way mm-hmm. that they touch you. you or know? the way they say very explicit things like continue doing that. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing, communication isn't just like checking in. And I think there's something valuable, especially one of the things I certainly ascribe value to is being able to dirty talk in a way that actually gets you valuable information. So it's one thing yeah. I like I'm I'm big into the talk. I think that's important to the why I do so many podcasts. Um but asking asking questions as part of the experience. Finding a way that's teasing to stop the blowjob and ask if someone likes it. And I mean being able to also accept criticism is part of that. Because for example when that woman was giving you a blowjob and you might might have liked a little bit more, it's it's a give and take. So not only is the giver should you be communicating but as the recipient but absolutely there are non-verbal cues for me that's important (laughs) for me it's it's always been if you don't like it Mm -hmm. don't think you're doing me a favor that's also valuable and i anytime i get into a a relationship i say that like right out if Mm -hmm. you don't like it don't do it because yeah. it's not going to be fun for me then either. But it's interesting because we have, um, certainly because our website is so social, we have quite a lot of contact with the, our our viewers. Sorry, I keep hitting the table. Um, and they, some of them have had situations where, for example, they've been in, you know, a very long-term, you know, 20-plus year relationship and their partner just doesn't like giving head. So it depends on how much you'd like it. And as with any sexual activity, you have to weigh how important it is to you. And I think it's sad to say, but there are times where that doesn't work. And yeah, it's yeah. it's tough because I have certainly, um, I do, like, a, I moonlight at various places doing advice. And when, when there are questions like that, there is no easy answer. It's either they need to compromise and they need to try, or you need to decide how important this is and find a workable solution. Yeah, or 
sometimes it's ending the relationship. I've had girlfriends who weren't comfortable with me going down on them yeah, because of their own hangups. And I, mm-hmm. that's just, for me, that's a deal breaker. Yeah, because you, you have the things that you love. You have the things that are really important to you. And it's, I think people undervalue uh, sexual chemistry and sexual kind of, I don't know, symmetry mm. in a sense. And also that kind of openness and willingness because we think we think of sex as this thing that happens and this thing that feels good. But for a large percentage of the population, it's very important. Some guys don't... I, I, it's not just guys, but I'm coming from a guy's perspective. Not all guys want to admit a problem with the sex aspect because they don't want to be, they don't want to seem shallow. If every other aspect is working, but this isn't, if I break up the relationship for this, how is that going to reflect on me? Well, yeah. And I think absolutely. And I've, I mean, as a woman, I've had breakups where sex was a part of it and where it was just, you know, we want different things. I have certain proclivities that you just do not. And it's hard. And I think especially when it comes to men, that is difficult because we expect men to be pigs about sex and we expect, and we assume that if you don't want to have, if you don't want to continue a relationship because sex is bad, then that makes you a pig. That's exactly it. People do undervalue that as a large part of general relationship chemistry and compatibility. So to a certain extent, I think that's what the sex positive community serves to do is to show that it is a valuable thing, both in and not in relationships. Also, being mature enough to discuss it. Exactly. It's uh, I'm going to the playground conference. It was mm-hmm. awesome to see uh, all these people being completely just open about sex and just because that's I think how we learn. Absolutely. I mean, I I cannot say enough great things about playground. Samantha Fraser is a damn saint, and and JP as well. Everybody who's involved in making that happen, all the speakers, all the people who come to it, it's just the most cathartic atmosphere because we all see value in this, and we all see value in talking about it. And I think if everybody did that a little bit more, whether that is identifying yourself as, as very sexual or identifying yourself as less sexual, that's fine too. But doing the, doing the work of critical thought associated with sex and to a certain extent letting that factor into your relationship making process is good because you can be a less sexual person. You can be a totally non-sexual person, but if you're not upfront about that, if you're not able to articulate that at there some will point, be issues. exactly. I mean, it goes right back to, you know, the, the people I meet on OkCupid. I make the conscious choice to put myself out there as a sexual person. And so, yes, I get some creepers, but I also get a lot of people who value that for more than just this means good things for my dick. Yeah. And then I date those people yes. and it's great. I've, Always, not always, but most of the time, use my real name, porn or not, yeah. whatever. Uh, so I, having different names has always been kind of like it was something that I saw all the time. Yeah. But it was never really something for me. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, yeah, on those sites, I'm just very upfront. And, yeah. I think, yeah, and I mean, obviously, there's elements of privacy that are important, but being with the people who you seek to have intimacy with having that kind of upfront, whether it's about you've done porn, that's an important thing to, for people to know because some people don't like that. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm just upfront about it because I don't want to get into that conversation later. I don't want to have someone who 
I've had a couple times early on where people were like, you know, I really like you and you're great, but like I couldn't introduce you to my mother. Yeah. Mm. It's yeah. like, okay, well, that's fine. Then we probably shouldn't date and that's okay. Or you're going to need to deal with it at a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> are we talking about what Dom said when he found out I did porn? Dom Prey? Yeah. Uh, probably something humorous and mean at the same time. We're driving, <laughs> we were driving out to Peterborough to do a show. And Hannah Hogan said something about the moon. So, of course, I somehow turned it and twisted it into something sexual about me doing porn. And Dom turns and says, you did porn? I said, yeah. Why are we talking about anything else? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people have that. I know in my, my personal life with my friends and with, uh, with anybody who I kind of meet and there's that, oh, what do you do? All of a sudden it monopolizes the conversation for the next, like, 25 minutes at it, least. It totally, it totally can. It yeah. totally can. <laughs> so how did you get involved in porn? Have I asked this already? Yes, yeah. The, I went on Craigslist. <laughs> That's right. Go, uh, Craigslist. And it worked. Briefly considered being an opera singer. Yes, yeah. it worked, and I'm still doing it almost five years later. Opera singing? Oh, no. No. <laughs> I do that exclusively kind of in the privacy of my own home. Sing us something. No. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> there are hard limits, apparently, during there this are. interview. Oh, what no, we need is a shower. That's <laughs> the problem. If, if maybe, yeah, catch me off guard. So, you know, it's, it's something I enjoy, but certainly going into opera, I learned just because you're good at something doesn't mean you should do it professionally, necessarily. Forrest Whitaker's a, an opera singer as well. Hey. Yes, no, I've he was, I heard him on um, inside the actor's studio. Oh, cool! I used to watch that all the time with my That's ex-wife, a great right? Show, yeah, and uh, yeah, and he was—he's told how he's an operatic singer, and that was his first career choice. Kind I guess of thing. I could kind of see it in a way. I do want to go back to what you said, though, because I've had this mantra that if you're good at something, whether you're naturally good at it or you, you've worked on the field for some time, you should see it as a responsibility to do it because huh. you don't know what your work might do for opera in general. But what if you're great at everything? That's my Oh, well, if you're great no. at everything, then by all means. <laughs> well, you know, you have to choose. I think I think it was that at a certain point, um, and this is obviously very little to do with sex, but I'm sure I can bring it around eventually. Uh, it's it's a really hard profession. It's, it's not necessarily a dying art, but certainly an art that's changing. And it's kind of pay to play when you're young. You have to get at least a master's. You have to go to summer programs where you actually pay them to perform, mm -hmm. not the other way around. Uh, you have to pay for, for your lessons, you have to pay for your accompanist, you have to pay for the pretty dresses that you have to wear when you're singing f for free at a church. Mm -hmm. um, it's a tremendously expensive game, and I found that the people I know who have gone far in it, either they're like absurdly, absurdly, freakishly talented and lucky and just in the right place at the right time, or they have affluent families mm -hmm. and can kind of make it, it sounds like it's kind of uh held on to the old world mentality more than anything I else mean, even more than that because originally it was conservatories and you'd be brought in for a conservatory and if you were good you didn't have to pay now universities have realized that it can be a program and so if you're going to decide that this program is going to exist you're gonna to have to develop a whole curriculum a lot of which is not performance-based not directly related to opera and Originally, it wasn't like this. You didn't have to have that particular education level, and things were not as kind of necessarily expensive as they are. But they found out how to. They found out how to do it, and money. it's the same with so many different art forms. Yeah. And, and schooling, in exactly. General, yeah, you know. Well, it's it's the same way. 
it used to be, you know, you have to finish high school to get a job, then yeah. it's university, and then it was a master's, and now it's a PhD, and now there are these sad people with postdocs who can't get jobs. And it's similar with opera. I mean, it's all kind of the same. And also, it's just, it's a rough gig. Um, I know this is kind of funny saying this is someone who works in porn, but it, it does, I mean, you, you travel a lot. The people I know who are doing opera professionally, they have partners, but they're out in Dresden, or they're out in Istanbul, or they're, you yeah. know, they're all sorts of areas that you do these short-term contracts and then you're in Pittsburgh and then you're, you know, in Boise and then you're doing a summer program in Halifax. You never have the home base. And at a certain point I realized it's just, it's a tremendous amount of work and energy for something that might may or may not pay off. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And not to mention I'm a soprano, which is the most common voice type. And just in Canada, just in Ontario, there are, uh, hundreds of us being churned out every year and we all sound very good and we're all comparable and then you look at the couple opera companies that pay a living wage they're bringing in european stars they're not you know paying us so yeah it's rough it's rough out there it is kind of actually kind of reminds me of doing comedy yes yeah, it's definitely like that or even burlesque it, it often feels like it's kind of pay to play yeah see it's it's uh well it's not so much pay to play but you're you're Getting paid nothing. Yeah. And, you know... We have a better hair than in New York. We're in New York. Oh, it was yeah. literally pay to get on. Oh, yeah. Or bring 10 friends. Yeah. yeah. Like, the worst that we have here that I can think of off the top of my head was bring two people. I remember the laugh is For, uh... For, uh, I think it was PJ O'Brien's. I was say Russell Royce, yeah. Yeah. Which is... Okay, I get it. And you know what? Probably better off that way because if a bunch of people show up and there's nobody to watch, yeah. then it's not that much better of a night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the laugh resort. Uh, just to veer off into comedy for a little bit here, um, was where the Holiday Inn used to be on King Street. And I got booked on to do that. And I thought it was a big deal because it's a club, right? Oh, it's a, I, I, I'm the first person in my year for, at Humber to have gone on. So this is really cool. I had to bring five people. Mm-hmm. I have family. I have some friends who came out. So I lucked out. But what do you do when you're an out-of-towner and you don't know anybody and you have to bring five people? Yeah, well, that's it, right? Yeah. Go on five, five people say, look, I'll buy you a beer if you come to the show. Yeah. Yeah. And you're paying out of pocket. Just but to, it was, exactly. Yeah, just like, uh, I heard the absolute Kingston, because they've opened up a new place in Kingston, mm-hmm. um, has people opening on weekends for free. How are you going to open on a weekend for free? Well, that's when, the thing. It drives down the market. So you're driving drive. from Toronto to Kingston. Mm. To open on a weekend for free. Like, Did they compete you food or drink or... I don't know. I've heard, I've, I haven't done it because it just opened up just uh, just as I was leaving the comedy. But I've talked to some of the people like online and whatever. Uh, Mike Wilson, I think. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of the people from Durham. At the very least, porn isn't like that. And so even though it sounds funny, given that porn is a... I would say a difficult industry at times. A lot of free, accessible cre- content. Yeah, create creatively, it could be worse. Like I've been watching porn for a very long time, and I found that for as much as there is free content, sometimes I'm just looking for something specific. Or if I go and there's one video that's mm-hmm. free, and like this website's really good. Nine times out of ten, I would check out that website, and it will not have any. Thing even remotely close to the video I watched and I'm actually pissed off because that video was really good. Yeah. I would have paid to add that to my collection. Mm-hmm. Oh well. Yeah, no, I think it's that kind of like truth from a marketing perspective, that kind of like 
truth in what we put out. We try to put things out that are not like our absolute best content, but that is like a representative sure. cross section of what we do. And it's it's worked out quite nicely. And I think we have actually a lot of people who do find us from tubes and stuff like that. It's it's complicated when putting things up on tubes and we very rarely do anymore because it has licensing laws and all that. Um not so much that because I mean like it's our content so we can do what we want. But um it it has negatively impacted the adult industry. This this because I mean, initially it was all theft, and now it's above it's above bar. But the the company that owns basically all of the the, the biggest tube sites uh, also owns a lot of um, like, like has acquired a lot of um, production companies. So even if you put the best video you have, the longest video you have, it's not going to make it to the front page. It's not going to be the yeah, top result they're... when you search. You know, even if you search the art of blowjob, they they will have other videos that are within their family, their network of, uh, of sites up first. And it's just, it, it's not the best thing that has happened to the adult industry for sure. I would, I would hazard to say it's not a great thing for the adult industry. So it, we manage our expectations effectively. We don't feed them all of our content because that's what they want. They would love Mm. us to put up, you know, tons and tons and tons of videos. We're not going to do that. You just kind of keep it more for your yeah. own site. Well, we, yeah, we try to keep our content, our content, and we use it occasionally because some people will come across it and many people do and say, hey, you know, I found you on whatever tube site. Mm-hmm. I liked what you did. I, you know, checked out the site and saw that, yes, it was representative. So we checked it out. For I would have thought the ideal way for these two websites is to emulate the biggest tube out there, which is YouTube. Mm-hmm. They do have an advertising uh, revenue share system. So yeah. well, YouTube... Yeah, do have this. So, I mean, it's it's like a, a 50-50 rev share with affiliate networks. So there is, there is an element of that, which is good. But what we end up doing is we're giving them a lot of content for the exposure, which is being limited because of the the way that they're populating their website the way the way you can or cannot get to the top and be the most relevant for your search terms or show up on the main page so yeah and there and then they make 50 percent of whatever yeah. you make which is just for the pleasure of having your company essentially that's that's a whole lot of percentage it is yeah and it's it's i mean it's- we try to not spend an arm and a leg making porn but to, to pay people fairly to for the hours that it takes to, to create this content, make it as aesthetically pleasing as we can, upload it, tag it. There's a lot There's a lot to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I did a, a written blog mm-hmm. for, what, two years, I think I, I was doing it. And, uh, yeah, that was a lot of... That's the thing. It's all a lot of work. And and when then you're getting a 50% cut taken out, it's substantial. It, yeah, it kind of hurts, I would imagine. Yeah. Um... So you do more than just porn, mm-hmm. right? Uh, tell us about the storytelling event. Yeah, so this is uh, about a little slightly less than a year ago. I went to L.A. for the Biz Awards. And while I was there, uh, my friend Lady Cheeky suggested that I go check out a night called uh, Body, B-A-W-D-Y, Storytelling. And it's uh, it's out in L.A. in San Francisco. It's hosted by Dixie Della Tour, who is lovely and charming. It's more on the curated end of the spectrum. And then special guests come in and tell stories. But it's always sort of centered around a sexual related theme i loved it i thought it was so exciting it was so funny it was so interesting and that night when i went home i just i i messaged dixie and was like hey 
you are very far away from Toronto, and you could not probably sustainably do something here and continue doing body elsewhere. Would it be okay if I did something similar? And I mean, I also knew that this this kind of thing happened in New York, and this kind of thing happened in other other parts of the world. So that was cool. And so I just put out a call and said, hey, if I started a, a sexy storytelling night in Toronto, would you come see it? resounding yes and I had a friend uh, working at the Beaver at the time booking events and he was like I have next Tuesday open do you want to just do it and then at the same time um, Samantha Fraser of uh, notyourmothersplayground.com and of Playground the conference that just happened the sex positive conference in Toronto uh, messaged me and was like, hey, I saw your I saw your message. Um, I was actually like kind of talking to Dixie about having her do a one-off and coming out to Playground. So which I guess would have been like this this most recent Playground that just mm. happened. Um, but we kind of weren't sure if it was going to work travel-wise and timing-wise. So would you want to work on this together? And I was like, oh yeah, for sure. I don't want to do all of this by myself. And also having a having a co-host is the most fun thing ever so now we pretty much uh so we did the first month at the beaver but it was so jam-packed people were sitting on radiators um people there was standing room only it was really great and so we ended up getting in touch with the gladstone hotel and now we do it um the first wednesday of every month occasionally we do it other days if it's a special event like for playground we did it on a friday Mm -hmm. at the at the event space at the holiday inn um it's yeah, it's just the most fun, and and we kind of have this like Stadler and Waldorf style mentality to our uh, to our our hosting. We have a few different judges that come up, uh, spe- special guest judges that represent the sex positive community, or we have comedians and writers, uh, storytellers, because Toronto is a very vibrant storytelling community. It, it really well. is. It really yeah. is. So we kind of try to mix all that together. It's free. We do pay what you can for uh, different sex positive charities, um, but. You get in for free on a Wednesday night, hanging out, have a drink, have dinner, whatever you want. And um, the way we do it is we have uh, pens and paper scattered around, and we have a a little heart print box at the front, and people write down their names, put it in. We always have a central theme, which can be everything, too. My favorite theme was still butt stuff. Anything pertaining to butts. Uh, So, like, we've done done body positivity uh, themed events. We've done kind of, we did like a a hot for teachers, sexy, sexy education and school related event. We've just done a bunch of different themes. And so, people come up and tell stories that are about five minutes on that theme, generally speaking, off the cuff. Once in a while, we'll have people who come prepared with like a little poem or or sometimes some very hot pre written erotica, but it all has to be. Um, personal stories, so mm-hmm. things that actually happened from their lives, not telling tales out of school and not just making stuff up. And it's just, it's very cathartic to to have an event like that in Toronto, which is both sex positive, but not cruisy. And of course, people do meet and they hook up there for sure. And it's in a hotel. So you just go right upstairs. It's very convenient. <laughs> um, but it's also, it's just to kind of embrace storytelling. It's to embrace all of our weird communal experiences, hearing things that maybe you've never heard about or hearing things and going, oh, God, that happened to me, too. And sometimes they're gross. Sometimes they're super hot. Sometimes they're hilarious. Sometimes they're really awkward. Sometimes they're very kind of confessional and emotional. So it's been there was, kind uh, of all over the place. I don't know if it still happens, but there, a woman named Marilla Wax used to do a storytelling at Kaplansky's. I think that's still going on. Is oh, it still cool. going? Yeah. She's... Uh, stories? Smoke meat and switch. Um, <laughs> but they all have to be clean because oh. it's a family restaurant. Yes, yeah, so that's the opposite of us. So I went to 
to one, and uh, the topic was first times. So I told a story as cleanly as I could about my first experience with gay sex. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's on on YouTube right now. It would be very hard to do that. You would have had to have a number of euphemisms. Uh, It would have to have been like a Tarantino movie where the most important event isn't actually viewed. And you just show the events prior to and after. (laughs) (laughs) Which is some interesting narrative construction. Mm -hmm. I'll send you the link if you want. Yeah, I know for sure. uh, Because it's fun. And uh, Samantha and I, as a result, have kind of uh, done a little bit of the storytelling circuit. Mostly when other people do their not safe for work event, then we we come in and... (laughs) <laughs> explain that we are extremely blue right off the mm. bat because I think she and I both are very even though outwardly we have this kind of like sweet appearance and our little melodious voices and we're up we're, I don't know we're interesting gorgeous Thank let's you. just put it out there we're you know we're, we're cuties I'd say um and and then we just say the filthiest stuff and people think it's hilarious and we have some judges who are from like the the acting comedy storytelling world we should have you as, we should have both as judges sometime <laughs> sure I, I, every podcast I go it's... on now I'm like let's get some judges happening but uh yeah it's it, it's interesting to have people from the sex positive world trying storytelling for the first time and then having storytellers talking about sex sometimes for the, the first time or at least the first time on stage having having done comedy it was there's always a really weird reception to any of my uh, stories that had any gay sex involved yeah in it. and it's it's very it was it was doing stand-up and, and talking about gay sex is very much touch and go and you, you flirt with it and then you go away because if i did one story about uh, i used to do a story about my time in porn mm-hmm and talking about gay sex and just everybody gets so turned off. Majority. Yeah. Comedians were laughing because they're all sick fuckers. <laughs> this is true. But, <laughs> but yeah, so it was, it was just, uh, it was interesting seeing how, you know, because other comedians go on and talk about how some, their girlfriend sucked their dick or they fucked their girlfriend or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. But the moment it comes to men, it's like, ah. Absolutely. Stay away, stay away. And that's what I think about Tell Me Something Good. We have the most, uh, like, in terms of rules, we have, like, try not to go over five minutes. We have a five-minute warning and a six-minute warning. And we only let that's you go over minutes, six minutes. the cane comes out. Like, well, unless, unless it's hilarious or, like, super sexy. Or once in a while we've let one go on, but it's only because, like, you could not possibly stop this story. But aside from that and kind of staying generally on theme and having it be true to your life, the only the only rules we have are don't be a dick. So don't be, don't have your story be based on homophobia or transphobia or racism or ableism. If the punchline of your story is, and then, and it turned out that she was trans or like, and she was fat. And there, there are so many comedians like that. There are so many stories that people would tell that are, yeah, that are ultimately, whether they're intentionally hateful or they're unintentionally the type of thing that would hurt somebody. We just don't want that. And we've never had a problem with it. And it's been great. We just have the type of community where people come out, they want to support each other. They want to be open. They want to hear interesting stories and experiences and gain a little more perspective on this aspect of humanity. It's wonderful. It is wonderful. Sex is awesome. It's great. And so we're like, yeah, the first Wednesday of every month at the Gladstone hotel melody bar at 8 PM. 
And it's called Tell Me Something Good, which means every time uh, I hear Tell Me Something Good, which seems to play a lot in, like, grocery stores, I get that, like, little butterfly feeling mm. if I'm about to go on stage. Have you guys used that song that. for the show? Yeah, it's, yeah, our, it's, our, uh, it's, it's law. Yeah. Basically, yeah. I don't even know how we – we were calling it, like, the sexy story slam. And we're like, no, it's kind of cheesy. I don't know. It just kind of, kind of like, oh, let's just call it Tell Me Something Good. And – because it's a, it's a jam. That's a good song. Yeah. I was actually at a party last night, and I played, and I was like, Ugh, oh, God, i got to go up on stage, and, like, do we have enough prizes? Because we give away prizes. It is a slam, so the judges judge. And what time is it at the Gladstone? 8 p.m. 8 p.m. Yep. Let me check that out. That could be you should. It's actually, it's this Wednesday. So it is Wednesday. The podcast, it'll be too late, but, yeah, it's December 3rd. That's cool. We could, um, I do believe we are going to have to wrap up. Which is unfortunate. Up. This has been very enjoyable. Yeah, it has. Lovely conversation, as I imagined. Yes, I, I'm pretty sure nobody said, don't go on that show. Eli's a dick. No, no one said Joe's that. okay, but Eli. <laughs> no one has said that. Other than Joe. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's my duty as a producer. It's too late. Too late. This is how we trick them into coming. We had two cancellations uh, today, so my work here has been pretty good. Good. Yeah. Good. This can't happen. Fuck that it. works too. I'm glad I could get here a little bit early because I have a potluck to go to now. Well, awesome. I'm going to do that. Sophie Delancey, thank you for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. Give us a rundown of some of your websites. Where can we find you? So theartofblowjob.com, that is where the pornography happens. If you like beautiful blowjobs, they are there for you. Uh, we're at The Art of Blowjob on Twitter. We're facebook.com slash T-A-O-B-J because Facebook, not very into blowjobs, as it turns Apparently. out. Uh, or tolerance. Yeah, not general. a ton of tolerance for that. Uh, but yeah, we're on Flickr, we're on Google+, we're on... Uh, Pinterest, actually. We're kind of just any social media over there. We're on YouTube. Instagram? Google. Google Plus. Yeah, Instagram. Really? You Instagram blowjobs? No. We Instagram behind the scenes. We Instagram sexy, but covered shots, implications, but nothing direct. So we're kind (laughs) of, if you want to interact with us, just look up The Art of Blowjob on uh, that social media and you'll find us. Um, And everywhere, I'm Sophie Delancey. So Twitter, at Sophie Delancey, Facebook, slash official Sophie Delancey because um, you know it's good to be official yeah so I'm around talking about sex giving advice and uh, sexy stories as well but Excellent. mostly blowjobs on behalf of Joe and myself Sophie thank you for coming on and thank you all your listeners for joining us and uh, let's try and make uh, get more than 121 listeners per episode yeah that would be the awesome. pressure's on the pressure is on I feel like this will fall to me again.